0: I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled Over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. There are things that happen in our lives once in a while that really make a difference and an impact. People that you meet, places that you go, accomplishments that you have in your career. And one of those differences in my life is our guest today on our podcast, From My Kitchen Table. I want to introduce you to Krivka Steffi. I'm going to read her bio, which I always say I read because if I tried to say it, um, just off the cuff, I would make a million mistakes. And that would be so embarrassing for both me and them. I would be horrified if I ever misrepresented something that these women do. They're so accomplished in their fields, regardless of what that may be. And Krifka is, I, we were talking before the podcast, and I had to tell Krifka on my ladder of people that I admire, she is at the top. And that is very authentic and sincere because of the gift that she gives to so many of us who are publishers and writers and designers. So as Director of Merchandise at Barnes & Noble, Krifka has a direct responsibility for all things related to the Barnes & Noble newsstand and the entertainment business. This includes not only buying activities, such as determining what magazines and vinyl will be carried at the over 600 retail locations, but also in the creation and development of new products. The newsstand department has even dabbled a bit in the creation of their own products, including a three-part series called For the Love of Paper, which reached over $1 million in sales in partnership with Sterling Publishing, now known as Union Square & Company as well as a brand new magazine with a 360 media called The Ultimate Guide to Vinyl. Krivka Steffi, rock star in her field, and I would like to introduce you to her now. Krivka, welcome to From My Kitchen Table.
1: Thanks, Joe. I'm so happy to be here. Very excited. And well, I love it is- the intro. I'm just like, oh yeah, I do those things. <laughs>
0: Not only do you do those things, you do many more things. And you have a million stories to tell. That's, I know that, and so much to teach our listeners today. But if you don't mind, I would like you to start at the beginning because all of us always wonder how someone enters a position and reaches the position that you have at Barnes and Noble.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, thinking over that question, it's so interesting because. I think it's all been passion-led, and in a way, everything has sort of naturally came to me through knowing people and having good relationships with people, because I really started out my education thinking I was going to be a lawyer, (laughs) which is the complete opposite (laughs) of what I'm here today, Um, because I just have... Strong, very strong feelings about protecting people who cannot protect themselves. And I've always been that type of friend and that type of person. And so I think people really saw me as that type of that, that sort of role, you know, sort of that person that will take care of things when you need someone to and step in. And it's really it's sort of interesting that at the same time as I was seen as that potential lawyer, I was doing all kinds of you know, arts and crafts and I've always been very creative. So I do think I am kind of a person who has a bit of a split sensibility. I can do those math things and I can sit down, I can be a really hard person, but on the other side, I really like to be fun and creative and out there. And that's really presented me with a wealth of opportunities and having friends who are of various backgrounds, having professional relationships with people who are varied. I have a lot of photographer friends, but then I have friends who are lawyers and bankers <laughs> and accountants, you know, and and that I think that's really sort of unusual to Very have a group of friends so diverse. Um, but I enjoy that. I really like stepping out of myself and getting to know other people and I think that's why my journey has been so interesting because (laughs) I didn't go to law school I went and I interned for a bit at the state attorney's office in Florida when I was about 16 and I was like no 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 there's too much discourse here there's not enough collaboration this isn't for me And so I ended up going to Rollins College, and I actually did a business degree, so I left with my MBA, and I really loved operations and marketing, and that was my focus, but I ended up going to work for an IT, so a technology company, and I got sales training in how to sell software. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> right that sounds like what she's in the magazine and buying space how this happened? um but i really would encourage women young women especially who don't know their path to look into sales i think sales is such a fantastic foundation for your life and knowing that it's not a dirty word it's not a dirty profession In reality, what it does is it just gives you the tools to identify people who want a service or product, and you will forever have a job. You can absolutely lean into sales no matter where your life takes you. And I think it really opened up my mind to the possibilities. So I did that for a while. Then while I was at a career fair representing the company I worked for, I was poached by another company (laughs) to work in the magazine distribution space. And so I went and worked as an account representative for then Borders, a lot of college bookstore chains and ended up taking over customer service, a bunch of different departments. But I was really on the side of figuring out five copies, seven copies, that kind of thing, never really in the development of magazines of the creative space. And that sort of, I, I loved it because I lo- I've love i always loved magazines. My mom is a huge, huge fan. So we always had Martha Stewart living <laughs> around and we always talked over ideas and conducted little experiments to try to do what Martha did, but we all know they never really worked out quite the way.
0: Never. Yeah, never.
1: <laughs> never. Um, but... I ended up going back into software when I met someone on an airplane.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I I'm not sure you can recommend this to other people this this trajectory you've, you're on but it's it's worthy of a movie. So <laughs> you know it's
1: just a bit of kismet if you think yeah. about it because I do think that's part of how my general working life and coming up with new ideas and helping publishers navigate what people want is just being open to conversations with strangers you know and i think that's the that's sort of like don't talk to strangers i tell my son like you can talk to people just don't get in their cars
0: (laughs) good advice
1: (laughs) but yeah i went i worked back into software And then I got called by a former colleague who said, a job at Barnes and Noble here in New York City has opened up and this is the perfect job for you. And I was living in Philadelphia at the time. So I started doing that crazy commute. Oh my gosh. For me, my husband was like, we either have to move, you know, (laughs) we, we just can't do this commute anymore. So I've lived in New York City for about six years. And, you know, it's just completely different than where I started out in life, which was Orlando, Florida.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Very different. Very, very different.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, it, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey. And I think, you know, the other thing too, when, when you were asking, like, how do you get into a position like this and how does it evolve? I think in every position I've held, I've modified it to be where I want the position to be. And I've allowed myself to say this typical position might just be a buying position, but I want to create things. I want to take it to another level and take it out of the mathematics and out of the just straight buying and Excel and, and all of that and really create things that I think our customers want that aren't being produced. And that's the part of the business that I think has has really made Barnes and Noble really the leader in terms of magazine offerings globally.
0: Well, and that's the line, the new line of three um, your design lines for paper, right? Those books you designed those, didn't you? So actually, they were not
1: designed by me. They were influenced by me, and I procured the idea for, for having them. So if you want to talk about sort of inspiration, we had a line uh, called Flow that was out of the Netherlands, and I'd been over to meet with them. We were getting some fantastic product, which actually I think is coming back to the stage Oh so Yeah, so we all miss them. <laughs> but we, we just weren't getting enough. And really what I saw from customers and our buying and the excitement online, uh, just, you know, in social media was that we needed more paper and just knowing myself and and loving just having some physical, you know, some physical designs and things to cut and tape together and glue and all that, (laughs) that we needed more, you know? And so I went to Sterling at the time, which is now Union Square and I said, I need some artists. I need you guys to make me a paper book. So they started to have collaborative sessions with me and my team and say like, do we like this? Do we like that? What's the name? All of that. So I didn't create any of the designs. I just had a hand in influencing the, the creation of it. But
0: well, and sometimes that is the most important part because you need somebody to have the initial concept, know the backstory, and then help them put it all together so it appeals to the public in the way you envision it to do. So in a way you had a hand in, cre- you know, you, you created the designs because you could have chosen not to choose some or to include some or go in a totally different direction.
1: Well, exactly. And you know what I, I think is really sort of a funny thing that people may not realize about me I really love when you hand an idea over to someone, they go away and complete it. It's entirely in their perspective and and you can see their work in it and they come back to you and you're just like, wow, (laughs) wow. That's where you went with this like little idea I had and it grew into this amazing thing. That to me is just so super rewarding. And that's definitely what we saw with For the Love of Paper um the three editions that we've had so far and we would we may have more uh the pandemic slowed us down a little bit but you know (laughs) what we need a new one it's definitely a a possibility
0: on the horizon you do need a new one because i've bought the old one several times and so i you know it'd be nice to have a new one right so let's talk about how you select magazines for how do you choose magazines to be on newsstands? Because there has to be lots of different influences, numbers, audience, you know, how many in a category, all those different things. To someone on the outside looking in, seems like almost an overwhelming task. (laughs) Well, I will tell you
1: that we carry about 18,000 different individual magazines in a given year. So it is is a very uh, cumbersome and almost overwhelming sort of concept. In reality, the way that we choose the magazines that come in is that we try to just first determine what's the marketplace for this. Is this something that is in in over 600 stores going to be appealing? Or is this something of a regional interest? Um, You know, how big is the market? For this particular magazine and we typically don't turn away too many magazines because even though we get some that are really not newsstand ready sometimes it's an indicator of a growing trend and it's just something we're not quite part of yet so we really try to be very open-minded carry something for everyone i mean you can see when you go to our larger newsstands that you know every tiny little possible thing you might want in a magazine probably has one. Uh, but really, you know, that's that's the the basis of it. You know, we go back and we look, have we ever had something similar? Who is the customer? And I think that's the most important thing that I always teach anyone that I mentor that works for me is that if you put yourself in the customer's place, is there a customer for this? Do they shop us? Instead of always thinking about top line sales or you know what's the volume here who's shopping for this who is that person
0: so do you have regional magazines do you have magazines that you only sell in certain regions of the U.S.
1: oh absolutely lots and lots of them so that goes as far as just travel local but also fashion cooking you know very very hyper local
0: oh my gosh which is, e- which even adds to the burden of keeping track of all of these magazines, right? <laughs> I can't yes, imagine.
1: actually, they're sort of like, uh, we love to hate
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now you've moved into vinyl and entertainment, right? Yes. So tell us about that a little bit.
1: Well, you know, I think vinyl is such an it's so amazing that it it seems like a product that the industry tried to kill and it refused to die and it <laughs> fought its way back. So now there's actually a shortage of vinyl. All of the things that we wanna produce and we wanna come out with more albums and more vol- volume, there aren't the facilities and there aren't the raw, raw materials to make what we actually need. Um, and I think there is something just so, pure and and fun about putting a record on and sitting and listening, having to get up and flip it. They talk about session listening all the time in the industry, and I'm just sort of getting used to a lot of these terms. But there is something really special about a record. And you know, Barnes and Noble definitely sees the value of music and reading and this sort of way that they work together. So
0: we're we're really leaning into vinyl in a big way. So you you carry thousands and thousands of magazines. How many different um titles do you carry in vinyl? Thousands and thousands. thousands, and thousands.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can I didn't do anything know. the easy way, Joe. Like <laughs> we're going to carry and and you know, even if your local store doesn't have a big selection of vinyl, we have a lot online. We have a lot of exclusives where you know they're in special colors we have clear we have red i mean it's it's just a really fun business and i think it's really fun like i said that the industry tried to kill it and customers were like no no we want more and now it's gone completely the other
0: direction isn't that nice that the customers have a say sometimes in what an industry decides you want and what you don't want, right? And that's what I appreciate about Barnes and Noble so much. And you, Krivka, individually, as that you listen. You actually listen to the customers, right? Where a lot of people won't do that. They just kind of dig in their heels and this is the way it's going to be. And this is what we think so you go girl i mean you're right there so what so tell us about the trends in both publishing and vinyl i mean this new movie with elvis right has got to influence vinyl unbelievably i would think
1: oh so i mean movies absolutely you know influence the soundtracks um tv shows you know stranger things it's amazing this kate bush song is like number one when she was super young now that she's older i mean i I think the the thing that's the things that are trending the most definitely pertain to i think fun and and sort of getting back to where we were before the pandemic, going to shows. Harry Styles, I would be remiss if I did not mention how much he and BTS are driving the train of like, let's get back to our fun concert going selves. We're seeing a lot of younger audience in our magazine buyers. We're seeing a lot of you know, I think not only the love of vinyl and physical, but also in paper, buying books, buying magazines, I think that's all really exciting. So, if anything, you know, and I keep sort of calling it retro, but <laughs> sort of like how we always talk about things come around again, you know, everyone always references bell bottom jeans and things, but <laughs> it's sort of like everything that's old is new again, which is really, really fun. So, um as far as you know what what's trending, I definitely see in the buying behaviors people getting out again into the world, traveling, um entertainment, music, all all of these kind of things that indicate we're really eager to get back out in the world.
0: Oh I agree with you, one hundred percent. You can tell that by the lines at the airport um, <laughs> <laughs> right? it's it's a nightmare and they're still doing it regardless of whether or not they should be. But so let's talk about the difference in audiences for a second, because when we started Where Women Create, which was about 18 years ago, when we actually first started, our audience was my age, which was 50 or so at the time, and they've aged. And what we have found lately is that our we have all of these new Um, makers and artists and crafters that are in their early 20s and stuff. And I have to laugh because um, when I started, we started in cross-stitch, macrame, those kinds of things. Now these new wonderful artists that I love so much are doing cross-stitch and macrame again, right? (laughs) So, and, and it and it appeals, it's appealing across the board. When people say, who's your target audience? And I say, anyone from like 25 to 75, they kind of roll their eyes like, yeah, whatever. Because that doesn't usually happen, but it's happening in the world of makers and art and things like that. Absolutely, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because I
1: think there's always been this generational look back where we say, oh, these kids don't like what we like or they don't like us. But I do feel like people in their 20s, early 30s actually have a bit of interest and respect in the elder generation that I'm not sure we did. I'm in my 40s and I'm sort of like, I don't know. I really like people are in their 50s and 60s. They're so cool, you know? You like, must love me
0: then at 70.
1: <laughs> get to this mindset. This mindset, we're like, I've been through it. I'm not tolerating, you know. Like there, there is a certain wisdom in age that I think we're finally appreciating, and I do think that people in their twenties and thirties have that already built in. They almost have already a more global acceptance of cultures and, you know, race. It's just it is a is a sort of maturity that I I. I just think is fascinating, and so it is funny you mentioned that there's a broader age demo in most things, and we we definitely see that. I think on newsstands for sure.
0: So, do you do you buy magazines sometimes for ages, or are you crossing the boundaries in all categories?
1: So, the interesting thing is that we actually have some serious age gaps in what is produced. So. You know, there was definitely a a bigger teen and a younger age market that was filled by Seventeen Magazine and Teen Vogue, which have all gone away. And I think a lot of that was preemptive. It was a bit too soon for the reality of what was coming. And I think sometimes Decisions are made based on some PLs rather than looking at the realities of what customers are coming up and what's happening out in the world. You know, I really have to forecast out six months to a year where I think everyone is gonna be. And one of the things that help influence that are, are various trends that are happening now. Like right now, as as Paris Fashion Week is happening. I've been on the edge of my seat like please tell me these are real fashions because (laughs) I think so many of these happenings drive creatives just in general some there can be just one outfit that all of a sudden you're like you know what yeah you know they can and we haven't had that for so many years now (laughs) that but certain elements that happen in our culture drive those so Unfortunately, the teen market has been really left behind. Younger kids' magazines have also, and that's been a really important thing for me to try to find magazines to pull people into the format. And I think it's so important because you age through different stages of magazine reading. You know, if you start with the highlights or you start with animal tales, then, where do you move into before you go into your crafting titles or you go into reading history or politics or whatnot? So, if you don't have the full cycle by having the products there, it's just not good. So, we've been really working hard to try to figure out what magazine tie ins work.
0: Well, do you think some of the publishers are hesitant to do to target that audience because they are so obsessively on their phones? yeah Yeah, you think they'd actually hold a magazine in their hand (laughs) you know I will say that I get a little weird with TikTok
1: lately I have a enormous amount of people I follow on TikTok and I find myself in the TikTok brain drain of time but when I put my phone down I do feel like it's important to connect with something physical and to read something and I do think we've been seeing that in our book sales. I think we've been seeing that people are finally trying to work out this digital balance. What does this mean when I'm on my computer, I'm having these calls, do I turn it off? Do I reach for my phone or do I reach for something else? So I think publishers have been, unfortunately, instead of leading, following. And instead of looking at how do I produce something that will distract someone from their phone, I'm just gonna allow them to be on their phone. But we have we have had some successes like a Pokemon magazine, a Fortnite magazine, um, some Animal Crossing. So we're using the digital to create a physical, and it's been successful.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that because I, I'm a collector of magazines, and all of us, you know, the creatives are, I think, magazines and books. And when I give them for Christmas gifts, I have uh, teenage grandchildren who are 17 and 18, and they kind of roll their eyes, right? It's like, thanks, Grammy. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll read this. And what I love most about the books these days, I think, is there are some really, really beautiful books out there that are self-help books that are targeted towards a younger audience. Some of us even think of them as children's books, but they're, the message is really for adults older teenagers or adults, that whole self-help, you know, overwhelming thing. I think, you know, you talked about COVID for just a second. And it had such an impact on all of us, like magazine sales, for example. We just closed down for a minute, right? Because they were, you, most of the retailers do not sell magazines online. So um, with they couldn't go to the store and my last publisher was not really into subscriptions. So COVID had a devastating effect on my brand, but I think people during COVID had more of a need to read, especially self-help things and entertaining kinds of things because you can only sit and watch TV for so long, right? So tell us how COVID affected Barnes and Noble and what's happening because I think you're rebounding. I don't. Did you take a big slide because the stores were closed? Did you have enough online business to make up the difference?
1: So it's a great question because it was probably the most complicated thing I have experienced ever. In all of my crazy journeys into the software world, this was worse. <laughs> because it really came down to individual store and county mandates. So some stores were considered, um, you know, necessity and could be open Uh and other markets they were not. So when you consider at the time, I believe it was like 603 stores in various counties and different markets in different states, and all of the rules to be open, not open, workers, essential, all of this, it was kind of a madhouse. I mean, we really did not have a clear directive, and I think that's really hard for retailers that were out outside of the grocery or the Walmart sort of range. And we, you know, we also as a country experienced COVID in different ways. You know, I live in Manhattan, which experienced COVID completely different than where I am now. I'm in Georgia for about a month. And the two worlds could not have been more different with how they experienced and went through COVID. So the stores had a lot going on. Uh, we did transfer a lot of business online. I think we have a lot of fantastic and loyal customers that love Barnes and Noble and do what they can to help us continue our business. And you know we're so appreciative for those, those people um, that just took their business online versus coming in store to discover things. But it was a market by market type of thing. And I do, in a way, think that people finally got to their subscription pile magazines and like finally got back into the format, sitting and tearing recipes and looking at ideas and reading articles because we had a really nice rebound. And I think that, you know, maybe that subscription pile influenced that. You know, before I worked at Barnes and Noble, when the holidays would come around, I'd be like, oh, and I decorate like crazy, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew that. To the point <laughs> of being too much. My mom might say a bit too much, but I would go and get my magazines for the season from Barnes and Noble. I just knew that there would be ideas and new products there. So in a way, you know, yes, it was a hard times. It's almost impossible to put magazines online, by the way. It's like, you want to talk about ooh, serious burden. It's really tough. We've tried it. We tried it. We tried it. But um, I think it it did help bring people back to paper. And if there are some, you know, some golden moments to pull from it, it's that I think people finally got back to paper. I mean, I remember when the first iPad came out and my boss at the time was like, well, that's it. That's it paper's done. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. you don't understand. My mom's a librarian, by the way. My dad's a oh. professor. So I was like, no way. Nobody's going to sit and just read on a digital screen. The real readers are going to just do both. You know, when you're traveling, you just take this little tablet. But when you're at home, you want this giant book in your lap. So, you know, I, I think in a way, and it, I don't know. Man, i sound like i'm like yeah i told you so but i just sort of feel
0: like that. you did tell them so actually you can take credit for that 100 right
1: 15 years later i'm finally <laughs> oh,
0: that's hilarious you, i mean i think i've noticed since um COVID, um like some of the magazines many of the magazines the thinner, more informational kinds of magazines aren't around as much and have gone online. But the more expensive, artier magazines like um, Women Create or Selvage, or there are several of us that it seems like people want more and more. They want heavier paper, they want thicker magazines, they want more, and they're willing to pay for it. I mean, because they like the beauty and the, I mean, the inspiration that you get when you actually look at those pages and hold them in your hand and go back to them and things like that. Those of us who weathered the storm, I think are benefiting a little bit from what happened. Just like you say, you know, it was, it was horrific to get through and I'm not sure we're done.
1: Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Your magazines are collectible. You know, when someone buys your magazines, they're adding the next issue to the series that they are holding on to, they're going back to, and that's the evolution of the newsstand. We're really moving away from weeklies and sort of of the moment type of conversations in magazines, that's sort of evolved online, but the newsstand is moving more into keepers, things you wanna reference, um, you know, I look at these cooking magazines, even, and the pagination, the paperweight, the cover art, everything is moving closer and closer to a book, but with short form journalism and better photos. So, you know, I, I often think it's like the ADHD dream is a magazine, you don't have a ton of words, you have a lot of beautiful photos, and we're moving more into collection and and so higher price point but also something you want to keep forever and something you put on your coffee table that says this represents me and i think that's that's where you've already entered the market you already have that that place and we are seeing everyone else sort of catch up and we import a lot of titles from overseas in the uk where they were already occupying this collectability, less throwaway sort of aspect.
0: When um, during COVID, I um, was housebound like everybody else, and I live in a little tiny apartment. And so I painted it twice, and which is not that big of a challenge except that I had to move all my magazine collections to the middle of the room and then to the side of the room and then to the other side of the room so that I could paint and they are they are massive. And I, I, about every six months I go through them and I think I really need to get to, you know, donate or give a share the ones that I don't like as much with other people. And at the end of a full day, I probably have maybe six that I can give away. <laughs> Right. And then I have a whole new stack in the middle that has that I magazines I haven't seen for a minute. And I got all new ideas from them. It, it inspired me in an entirely different direction. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why collectibles are so important. Because there, you know, we save our pieces of paper, we tear out the pages and we save our pieces of paper. But when the whole magazine is there, I think you're more inspired when you're go from cover to cover. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. In fact, one of the ways that I typically will evaluate a magazine and how big we're going to go or not go is how long I spend with the magazine. Is this something that I sit down and I can go through in one sitting, or is it something that I have to put down and come back to? What type of experience am I having with it? And I think you're right. I mean, when you think about the different phases of your life or things that are impacting you at any given time. I have magazines that are very, very old that I'll go back to and I reread some things and I'll recall some of it. Like, oh, I have read this before. And other ones I'm like, I never saw this before. <laughs> how? You know, it is It is a really funny thing about how our brains work over time and our experiences. And so, there's an article and it's in a Southern living from probably 20 years ago. And it's all about using your grandmother's China. And it's an article that I wanted to tear out for so long, but I left it there intentionally. And it's all about when you put those things away on the shelf and you don't use them, they don't become part of everyone's collective memory. So when you're gone, how do your children or the people that that love you and go through your things feel about these things. If you don't use grandmother's china, it doesn't end up being anyone's china. And I think that article, just this very short last page, you know, it's things like that. They're just that you want to hold on to. You want to go back to those at different phases of your life.
0: You really do, and because especially I think when you're stuck or you've been doing something for a minute and you're and you want to do something else. I mean like, like you said, they can set you in a different direction that never entered your mind or would not have entered your mind if you hadn't read through some of your old issues. And I think the whole flower, this whole flower phenomenon thing that's coming, a lot of um, gardening magazines and things that I'm seeing, I think has roots in a while ago. You know what I mean? It's uh, my mom and dad were, were avid gardeners. And then I did a little, but not too much because I was too busy and didn't want to take care of a yard. And now everybody's back. I think a little bit in the country. I don't know about cities because I'm not a big city girl, but, um, we work I, our windows. We
1: work <laughs> our windows
0: and your rooftops, right? We
1: grow things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of, I mean, we're all about, of course, I'm all about promoting my magazines and that's why we do these kinds of things but I'm also all about promoting new magazines and new things on the market and I think we all need to work together as a community because I think if people love my magazine if they love Selvage or uppercase or you know one of those they'll buy us all or intermittently and I think that's important we don't You know, we need to share and we need to support each other. So what are some of the new magazines that you see coming through that you find very inspiring?
1: Well, we really have seen a lot of production of just specials. So one off instances, and that maybe this would actually be of interest to some of the creatives listening, that you can produce a magazine, just a one off instance by partnering with an existing publisher. So let's say you have an idea, you mentioned flowers, you have an idea for a magazine, that's all about soup to nuts, how to get into gardening, here are the best, most rewarding things to grow. It's in a particular area. You can go to an existing publisher and partner and let them deal with all the supply chain <laughs> and access issues and all those kind of things. So, you know, I think if you have an idea for a magazine, you know, get in touch like reach out we can find you a publishing partner we're we're just after new ideas and always looking for that creative spark i think the 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 neatest thing about specials and the way this is going is you don't have to produce a magazine 12 times a year anymore you can produce a one off give it a shot see how it's going you know get paid and come back again type of thing <laughs> And the publishers are really in that mode and mindset right now to look for people who will help put those individual or you know, could turn into a series, you never know, those sort of ideas out.
0: So tell us what it looks like when you say, get in touch with us, because we don't call the main directory at Barnes & Noble. I mean, how, how, do, they, how do they go about finding the right person to make their presentation to? Well, you can reach out to me. It's K
1: Steffi. Be really careful. (laughs) K Steffi at bn.com. This happens to me every day, Joe, and this would be actually a delight in my day versus some of the other email (laughs) I (laughs) get. If I get an undated wall parcel, it out. But, you know, Steffi at bn.com. You can reach out to me. We'll give you very honest and frank advice about. If we think the concept, ha- what sort of level of marketability it is, and put you in contact with a publisher, absolutely. I mean, I and there is nothing I love more than seeing new product on our newsstands. And I think we we really are at a place of just we need new new inspiration, new ideas, people to to jump in and replace all these keto diet magazines <laughs> I'm getting pitched. <laughs> I don't need any more keto diet. So if anyone's listening, don't bring me those ideas. But you know, we could we can definitely definitely take some more in the uh, arts and creatives area for absolutely.
0: Rachel. Well, that's good to know. And I've been in publishing for 44 years and I did not know that. I learned something new today. So I think it's evolved, Joe.
1: I, I really think 10 years ago I could not have said that you could reach out and I could partner you with someone who would produce something in collaboration with an individual. But the fact that we're we've evolved and moved into um into one-offs and book is what we call bookazines, specials, I think there's more of an appetite than ever.
0: I agree with you there. So so people the one question I get when people I get lots of um, emails and telephone calls and people want to start their own magazine or write a book or whatever it is and they always ask me how many copies are published of the different titles and I say well of course it depends right uh, what the title is but I'm not sure I know. So does it go like, let's say I wanted to do my own magazine and I wanted to do a one-off and it was on um, slow stitching, just for example, because that seems to be everywhere, right? So would I expect to have 5,000 copies published? Would I expect to have 25,000 copies published? So the way that that typically works is
1: the publisher will determine how many different retailers this particular title is gonna go into. Is that something that Michaels wants to carry, Joanne, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, is it going to Walmart? Those, the, the retailer sort of aspect is gonna come into play there. So it could be anywhere from a couple thousand copies to 10,000 copies it really depends on the individual retail chain and how that buyer perceives the you know potential sale so it, that it it really does then become um down to the individual subject of the title
0: and I often tell people that if, getting into this um probably shouldn't you shouldn't look at it as a gold mine that this is how you're going to make all of your money because sometimes we do things i know as an independent publisher we do things for different reasons than money it's pr it's building community there's lots of behind it and so i mean that's true right i'm not lying to them a lot of times there it's you have to do it for other reasons than financial
1: Yes. And it's, I think the other thing too, is it's a very slow process to get paid <laughs> as well. Oh, I mean, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, the we're going to receive that. You've got to put the magazine together. you got to get the magazine printed. You've got to get it distributed and then it will sit on newsstands for a determined, predetermined amount of time, depending on the retailer. Then you've got to wait for the Quote unquote returns processing to happen. You know, I mean, this is, it's not a quick buck. It's definitely not a quick buck.
0: So, I mean, you're talking a year or a year and a half or more sometimes. Yeah. 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 And people don't realize that it's the same with the designers when they license product. I mean, it's that same process. They think, oh, I get my line picked up and I get paid immediately, but it's the same process as publishing. You know, you have to design it, make it, get it out there, sell it the whole nine yards. So, okay, so what pieces of advice would you give our listeners that if you could sit down in a group face-to-face and I wanted to be a magazine publisher, what would you what would you say to me?
1: start out with one of the things that always surprises me is that people don't go and surround themselves with the existing product. Get to know the existing product that's on newsstands now. Look at the price points. Look at what's being talked about, the amount of editorial, the quality of the photos. Really, really immerse yourself with the competitive set because the reality is, as much as everyone likes to talk about fewer magazines, no people read it digitally, it is still a very large business and there is still quite a bit of competition out there. And I would really think hard about what the individual offering is. Is this slow stitch that isn't on the newsstand today? What is gonna be the differentiating factor that you're going to have in this particular magazine that is going to mean it's going to be picked up and you know I would definitely am I willing to wait a year to get paid. Um, <laughs> that sort of question um but you know I, I think that's really it is knowing the product and that is the most important part is to figure out how your product is going to look and sit among all of these other titles.
0: Krivka, I can't thank you enough. You're a wealth of information. And what is so nice about you is that you're willing to share and help the community and build the entire, I mean, just to listen to you mention your competitors like Walmart and Books A Million and all those places. I have meetings and write articles and do all kinds of things with people in your position that never mention a competitor. They will never ever bring up their name or send somebody in a different direction. And Krivka, that's why, you know, I believe that you and Barnes and Noble are so successful and so supportive because you're so supportive of the community, you believe in the concept of paper and all of us producing inspirational pieces of literature and art that can be shared with people of all ages in all incomes. So thank you for that. Thank you for being you. I
1: appreciate that and you're you're so right. I mean, I worry all the time about where where are the categories going? How will people who love magazines going to get a hold of them? Different price points, age demographics. I think about that all the time and often when we my team and I get magazines produced, we know that they go to our competitors and we know they sell at our competitors and that's okay. Because at the end of the day, we just want magazine readers to be able to have magazines no matter where they're buying them.
0: Well, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because I hear people say, like, I go, your, our magazines are expensive. So they say, I, I buy your magazines. But I started buying them at Walmart or Target or wherever. But now I go to Barnes and Noble because the stores are so beautiful. And just walking in and seeing everything else on the shelves and all the books and the displays and everything you have, it's, it's so much more inspiring to buy product. That they're more inspired by the magazines than they are someplace else.
1: Well, and one thing that's going to be even more inspiring is now we're integrating paper source into our Barnes and Noble stores. So the love of paper literally is going to expand and all the very cool things that paper source does is going to be part of Barnes and Noble. And we in turn will have more books and things inside the paper source location. So that it's a really exciting time and that's you know, secretly, maybe not secret anymore. My hope that the new for the love of paper will have paper source oh designs right. and and all of those exciting things because we want to talk about an inspiration place. I mean paper source for sure.
0: I, I read that in somewhere and um I did a happy dance because I love paper source and we actually featured him in the magazine like my first year in publishing magazines. I went to their headquarters. We we um, photographed all their offices and I spent a couple of days there and I've never forgotten it. I love them. So kudos to you, whoever came up with that idea to include them at Barnes and Noble, right? That will be a huge addition, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And they create so many of their own designs. I, I think 40% are designed in-house. so. You know, I'm over here like, when do we get to meet them? <laughs> but we're busy in the integration phases, which, you know, is more like product data and all those kind of you know, icky things. <laughs> but we'll get to the creative part at some point now that they're part of the team. So very exciting.
0: Very exciting. Well, Krivka, this is the part of the show that I hate the most. And it's when we have to say goodbye. Um, <clears throat> but there's two things I always ask all of my guests. And um, so one is, do you have a secret that not many people know about you that you would like to share? It's probably that in
1: addition to hoarding magazines, (laughs) I also create mixed media art from them. In fact, I have a really large art piece in my living room that I spent hours and hours and hours cutting magazines and creating and layering. And I think it took me about a year to put together. And when people come over, they really think it's real art, not crypto art, like real art. (laughs) So I feel like I've gotten somewhere with it, you know? So yeah, that's my deep dark secret, don't tell anyone.
0: Well, I'm glad you shared with us, and I am here to assure you that it is real art. That, that, is, that maybe what we need to do is define real art so that all of you who do real art know you're doing real art.
1: piece of being an artist, we're always like, I don't know. If other people don't
0: love it, is it real? I don't know. <laughs> it's real. I promise you it's real. <laughs> and then the last thing I ask everybody is... I mean, you're a master of words and your whole life is about words, and I think that the most difficult thing in writing is to say something profound about someone in very few words. It's easy to say something in a thousand words, right? But when you have 10, 20 words, I think you if you choose the right ones, you can really tell about a person's soul and about their heart. So I always ask. And that comes in quotes or things that are in greeting cards, um, sayings that are in greeting cards. So I always ask my guests what their favorite quote is, because I think it will tell our audience more about you than they realize.
1: And that was so elegant that now my quote, which I found on the wall of a WeWork bathroom during the pandemic, is not going to sound quite as elegant, but here it is because it, I feel like it found me at the moment I really needed it. It was September 2020. We were really, like I mentioned, New York knee deep in the pandemic. It was extremely stressful. And I looked over at the wall as I was washing my hands for, of course, 20 seconds or more singing the happy birthday song and saw, you can find inspiration in everything. And if you can't look again. And I didn't realize at the time that that's a quote by Paul Smith, but I ended up telling Tracy and my team about it and that it just appeared to me at the time I really needed those words. And she said, that's Paul Smith. But I think that really, it it is, it is such an important quote and very much true to who I am and, and what I do.
0: Well, I think that, I think you're right 100%, because that's what you do all day long is you're inspired and you look again and again and again to see things that the rest of us hope we'll see, right? The only disappointment that I have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today. It is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together to share our stories. I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward, simply doing what they love to do and that is create because we are a community which is based on our support of one another please remember to leave a review leave a review not only for these magazines but for each other it is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field if you have any questions or want to know more please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you. And that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes and take lots of pictures.
1: We do it for you, seriously. (laughs) Every day, that's what we're focused on. So (laughs) You are so sweet.
0: Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll come back another time.
1: Well, thank you so much, seriously.